The Daily 202 is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Good morning. I'm James Homan from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, January 17th. In today's news, after President Trump says ISIS has been eradicated in Syria, ISIS kills four Americans in Syria. Rudy Giuliani moves the goalposts on collusion yet again. And the president of Michigan State University resigns after saying sexual assault victims enjoy the spotlight. But first, the big idea. A Georgia man was charged last night with plotting a major attack on the White House. Hasher Jalal Tahib allegedly told an undercover FBI agent in a sting operation that he, quote, wanted to do as much damage as possible, and that he hoped to become a martyr. Because of the partial government shutdown, now in its 27th day, the FBI agents who worked overtime to prevent this potential act of terror are not being paid. They won't get their checks again at the end of this week either. They're still reporting for duty. The politicians, though, they're no closer to ending the stalemate. Nancy Pelosi's decision yesterday to ask President Trump to postpone his State of the Union address set off a day of political posturing. The address, scheduled for January 29th, would have given Trump a primetime televised platform to make his case for a border wall. Sources say that Stephen Miller, his nativist hardliner policy advisor, has been writing a stemwinder for weeks that rips hard into Democrats, and Trump was excited about the draft. Pelosi says it doesn't make sense to put on an event that requires such high security when the Secret Service and others in the Homeland Security Department aren't being paid. The Democratic rank and file cheered Pelosi for trying to deprive Trump of the spotlight. This is a president especially sensitive to any acts of disrespect, and one with an outsized appetite for pomp and circumstance, which means Pelosi's so-called unvitation was not merely a power play. It was a calculated personal slight. Meanwhile, White House staffers are working to quell dissent on another front, urging Republican senators to hold off on signing a bipartisan letter that calls for an end to the shutdown. At the same time, a group of centrist-leaning House Democrats met with Trump at the White House and urged him to end the impasse. The half-dozen members went over a day after some of their colleagues had spurned another invitation from the president. And not long after that, some freshman House Democrats, liberals, embarked on an improvised and chaotic hunt for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, They left letters calling for an end to the shutdown at his office in the Capitol, in the Republican cloakroom, and in the Russell Senate office building. They held impromptu news conferences along the way for dozens of reporters who were following them around. Over at the White House, Trump has told his own anxious advisors that he believes over time people won't remember that the government shut down, especially by next November when he's on the ballot. But he says his base will, however, remember that he went to the mat to try getting the wall, even if it doesn't happen. But despite all his public bravado, Trump has had more and more recurring moments of private frustration as he takes in negative news coverage of his role in the shutdown. The president has privately vented that he's losing the messaging war, and he blames, as so many elected officials often do, his staff. The New York Times reports this morning that he yelled at his new White House chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, after watching the TV coverage, saying, quote, We're getting crushed, Mick. Why can't we get a deal? If you needed another reminder of how hard it is to work in this administration, the number two at the Department of Housing and Urban Development, a Trump political appointee, has just resigned, partly in protest over Trump trying to deny disaster funding to Puerto Rico, an American commonwealth. Deputy Secretary Pam Patenaud 
was widely regarded as HUD's most capable political leader, in contrast to the somewhat politically hapless Ben Carson. But she's said to have grown frustrated by what one HUD official describes as a, quote, Sisyphean undertaking. Last fall, she expressed concern over the Trump administration's intervention in disaster recovery money that Congress had appropriated. Trump told then-White House Chief of Staff John Kelly and Mulvaney when he was budget director that he did not want a single dollar, not a single dollar, going to Puerto Rico. Instead, he wanted the money that Congress had set aside for the island diverted to Texas and Florida, two states that voted for him in 2016. Patton now told White House budget officials during a meeting in the Situation Room that this would be illegal. The money had been appropriated by Congress and must be sent. She also assured them that HUD had proper oversight of the funds. But now she's decided she couldn't stick around any longer. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, yesterday's suicide explosion claimed by the Islamic State in Syria, which killed four Americans, has cast fresh doubt on President Trump's comments claiming that the terror group had already been defeated. He has said repeatedly that he is pulling all of our troops out of Syria because ISIS has been vanquished. The attack happened in Manbij, which was wrested from militants by Syrian Kurdish fighters with the support of American air power back in 2016. As various interests squabbled in recent months over political and military control of the town, which is 25 miles south of the Turkish border, the Islamic State was the one actor that appeared to have been eliminated from the contest. But the bombing showed that they're likely to remain a force to be reckoned with inside Syria for the foreseeable future. And oddly, Vice President Pence reiterated Trump's comments that the Islamic State has been defeated in the hours after the attack that killed U.S. troops. In remarks filled with over-the-top praise for Trump's leadership, Pence said at the State Department, quote, We are bringing our troops home because ISIS has been defeated. Number two. Rudy Giuliani claimed last night on CNN that he has never said there was no collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia leading up to the 2016 election. In fact, he has. But in a remarkable, often contentious interview, the president's personal lawyer contradicted several of his own past statements about collusion, as well as what Trump and his supporters have repeatedly asserted. Trump has used the phrase no collusion dozens of times on Twitter, and a number of those instances were direct denials that anyone on his campaign was involved with the Russian government. Now Giuliani says what he meant was that there was no collusion between Trump himself and the Russians, but that he can't speak for others who worked on the campaign. As recently as last July, Giuliani was asked on Fox News whether he could deny there was any collusion whatsoever by anyone on the Trump campaign with the Russians. Giuliani responded, correct. Talk about moving the goalposts. Meanwhile, Republican senators last night successfully defended the Trump administration's plan to lift sanctions on companies controlled by one of Vladimir Putin's closest allies, even though nearly a dozen Republicans broke ranks to vote with the Democrats. The Democratic effort to block the relaxation of sanctions on the companies of Russian billionaire Oleg Deripaska fell just three votes shy of the 60 needed. That defeat means the Treasury Department is likely to lift the sanctions in the coming days, which could mean a windfall for one of Putin's best friends. Number three. The embattled president of Michigan State University announced last night that he is resigning. This makes him the school's second leader in a year to step down under pressure. John Engler, the former Republican governor of Michigan, told the Detroit News last week that some victims are, quote, enjoying the spotlight after they spoke out about the abuse they suffered at the hands of Larry Nasser, the former Michigan State sports medicine doctor who's currently serving a sentence of at least 40 years. 
Engler's year-long tenure sparked controversy from start to finish. He often escalated tensions with people who felt the university had wounded and betrayed them. Engler noted that he was resigning before he could be fired. The newly elected Democratic governor of Michigan gets to appoint several trustees, and those new picks looked likely to axe him because of his mishandling of the Nasser fallout. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, January 17th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.